0: You're in the water
1: loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This is episode number 177, Living with Water in New Orleans.
2: Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.
1: I'm here in New Orleans by the Mississippi River. New Orleans is one of the most unique water cities. It has this incredible relationship with the Mississippi River. Since New Orleans was founded here because of the river, it's had to find ways to coexist with the river, to manage it, to thrive with it, to be resilient to it. A lot of that has involved big, hard infrastructure, pipes and pumps and levees and channels. Half of New Orleans is actually lower than sea level. And with all the rainfall and storms, that causes a lot of flooding. New Orleans is now discovering how to be living with water and adapting these techniques and projects on public land, on private property, in parks that actually absorb the water, let it be there, and be part of their solution for managing their relationship with water. I'm really excited to go around and meet some of the people that are leading this change and talk to them about these solutions. Has a lot in common with the Netherlands in terms of both of these places have areas that are below sea level and so it's been a really special unique challenge with how they manage water so there's been a, a big exchange uh, for you know centuries between the Dutch and the people in New Orleans about how they do this and for a long time that was the big heavy infrastructure the pipes the pumps the levees the seawalls, whatever it might be uh, and the Dutch have also realized that that can't be the only way to manage water. They have to take this living with water approach. And so, New Orleans has started to adopt that as well. uh going to go talk to Rami Diaz at Wagner and Ball. They are a landscape architecture firm that is really folding this living with water approach into a lot of projects, not just here in New Orleans, but other places around the U.S. Charleston, Norfolk, Miami, even Wilmington. Uh, and Rami Diaz here is one of their landscape architects, and he's going to talk to us about how this is happening in New Orleans. Rami, how's it going? How are you doing? Sorry, okay. eh? Tell me about the topography of New Orleans. Uh, I'm fascinated by this, you know, place and the way it's so unique compared to really any other city in the U.S. and and why it makes it
3: challenging to manage water. So it's a unique place in, in the world and that it's one of the few places where the river is actually higher than the, the land around it, right? So it's a deltic, deltaic plain where the river shifted course over time and built the landscape um, through floods. So every time the banks would flood, it would create a natural levee and you had you know nicer soil by the river where it was heavier, that heavier soil would fall first and then it would kind of fluff off into this very light kind of stuff. And then the marshes developed and the swamps developed along the banks of the river. Yeah. And so we have this very young landscape. I mean, the cities, the land that we're built on is only a couple thousand years old. Mm. Um, in geologic time. Geologic time, enough. it's nothing, yeah. right. And um, and so the, the structures of the city are actually very new in terms of geology. Mm. Um, it's also very weak soil um, that subsides with um, oxidation. When you drain it, when you drain the soil, and you expose it to air, it oxidizes and shrinks, and so that's part of the story as well. As the city developed, and as we started to, um, you know, develop a drainage system in the turn of the last century, um, we were able to expand out into the marshes more and more. So we drained the swamp, we cut down all the trees, we built into these low-lying lands that are now, you know, Seventh Ward, Gentilly, Blakeview, most of Jefferson Parish on the on the uh, on the east bank. And a um, lot of those areas are actually be- lower than sea level. They're below sea level, right. Yeah. They didn't start up below sea level. Mm-hmm. They were at sea level. And then we drained the swamp, which then lowered it to the the whatever the, f- the foundation was of that, that marsh right. or swamp. And then over time, it subsided more. So there's some areas of the city that are just subsiding and subsiding and subsiding. And the more we drain and the more we um, remove the water, we sink more, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's part of the the kind of impetus for the urban water plan was, you know, deal with the rain and deal with the flooding, but also we need to find ways to manage our subsurface because the city is falling apart because of the the soil that we are built on. Is there
1: anything with the intensity of rainfall? Has has that been changing? I know New Orleans is prone to
3: these big rainfall events, but has that been picking up? For sure, for sure. We're having more extreme events and uh, also more drought. So it's kind of a you know, flip, right? We're having shorter, more extreme storms. It used to be that we'd have big long storms that would go for 24 hours or 18 hours, and now we're having these like two-hour storms where we're getting the same amount of rain in two hours that we would have had in
1: 12 hours. So New Orleans has a history of, of kind of a relationship with the Netherlands, right? Another place that's has a lot of areas below sea level, have had to do unique things to manage water. Uh, the living with water approach is now kind of being borrowed from the Dutch. Yeah. Could you talk about what is
3: living with water? What is this this approach? So it's fundamentally about uh, value, and value from water. It's not just about managing it or mitigating it or fighting it. It's about living with it. Right. Find ways to manage it that are more natural, um, and that bring value, economic value. So if you Think of it as you know we have to make these big investments in real in, in infrastructure. They should also have a real estate benefit. We should want to live next to water, right? People that some of the highest value real estate in New Orleans is along the bay of St. John because people want to be by the water. Um, and so you make it visible. You make it something people want to own and 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 have pride in. It's a little different than a pipe underground that people don't know is there and don't understand. And you know. So these these projects
1: are. When there's big rain events or whatever it might be, the water can be there. It can be present, if exactly. you will. It can exactly. be visible. Yep. It's part of that landscape. Yep. But then when it's not raining, you still have this beautiful. You landscape. have a beautiful landscape,
3: exactly. So, and that's another principle of the living with water approach: is multifunctional, multi-benefit, right? So, uh, a, a, a dike in the Netherlands, uh, for example, the the um, dike in Rotterdam, it's. First of all, you barely know it's there. It's it's higher ground. There's a road on top of it. There's streetcars on top of it. There's bike lanes. There's um, houses right up next to it. It's like, it's part of the landscape. It's seen as something valuable as part of the city. Um, there are drainage canals in, in Rotterdam. You don't know there are drainage canals. It's just parkland with you know canals. Um, and so that's sort of the the vision that we have for you know how do we do future infrastructure in New Orleans that or how do we renovate what we have so that we can make more space for water and more time for the water to to be managed? So that's the other kind of part of the story. We talked about the intensity of the storms. It's also about time. So if your whole idea is, I'm going to pump every inch of water that falls on the city and get it out as fast as I can, that's the historical approach. Um, we're saying, well, we need to like hold on to it, slow it down a little bit, find room so that the pumps have time to do that because we still need to drain, right? The water still most of the water still needs to be taken away. If the pumps in the drainage system, beyond the pumps, the, the system as well, like the, pump, the pipes, the canals, the catch basins, they just get overloaded by these pulses of water. If we can slow down how quickly the water gets into the system, the system has time to catch up. So the gray and the green
1: both have a role and work together. So in New Orleans, you know, we're here at your offices and you've got these great uh, examples of projects that are going on around New Orleans, living with water kind of projects. Could you just talk about what's happening here uh, to, to kind
3: of really lean into this and the scale of what might be underway? Yeah, so 10 years ago, building off of the Dutch Dialogues, which was right after Katrina, we developed the urban water plan, Greater New Orleans Urban Water Plan, and within that there were many demonstration projects. Right. We, we kind of said, here's an available piece of land, what would happen if you converted it into a stormwater park um, or take these streets and make canals, Dutch style canals for lack of a better description. Um, those over time developed into projects that are funded. So the, um, the National Disaster Resilience Competition work is funding many projects in the Gentilly uh, District. Um, there's also been hazard mitigation grant program dollars from FEMA. Uh, going to projects where for every dollar of avoided damage, you can spend a dollar on the project, um, and those projects have are, are underway now. There's many of them around town, um, and so it's taken 10 years, but we're building stuff now. Right? You have to have a long. You have to have patience yep, yep. in this business. Sure. <laughs> They're actually getting built now. So um, the one that's going to be the, the signature project for us, the the big one that has a lot of heart behind it, is the Mirabu Water Garden, which is out in Gentilly. Um, it was a site owned by the Sisters of Saint Joseph. It was their convent and it's, it's uh, 25 acres, very big site, undeveloped. Um, we're returning it back to sort of a uh, bottomland hardwood forest for a lot of the site and we're taking water from the neighborhood and putting it into the, the park instead of taking it two miles away to the pump station it's way over on the other side of this flat landscape. So we're managing over at Falls. So Gretna City
0: Park is where we are. Like, what is this project? Gretna City Park is the first finished pilot project from the LA SAFE program. So the Sixth Parish Resilience Program here. This was the first to break ground and now the first to finish. The park didn't have any recreational infrastructure. Um, The pond was serving sort of a stormwater function in the past. But this project is demonstrating what a public space can do in terms of flood mitigation for the neighborhood surrounding, this one in particular is where all the water ultimately ends up, and, and you can hear it right now—the rain last night and the ponds up—you can hear the drainage running out through this weir structure. Okay. So before the project, this was fenced off. It was there was no parking lot, no public access, and this was just a concrete engineered structure. And we built this whole pavilion on top to celebrate this experience of water. Yeah. Uh, besides the playing field, mm. um, everything else is just. Walk, walk and enjoy nature. Yep. Besides locating public space at water features, we also wanted to make sure you could sort of see points of interest through the park. Mm. So that's why some of these features are located kind of within view corridors. Yeah. There was a, a tension between where to put water to potentially take out forests and where to preserve. And what we found by um, analyzing a tree survey was that there were certain areas of forest that were ponding and degraded already and so there was sort of a double benefit those were the areas where water storage happened we cleared and have now replanted oh wow and uh, and then preserved some of the healthier forest like on that side of the pond the i would be thrilled if i was a resident
1: of the area to just have this
0: so we took those bearing points and branched out in the v structure to carry more roof got it and that b shape became now a motif across the park mm, the carried that here, forward yeah to the bridges the design just to feel a little more cohesive. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and in all of these areas around the pavilion, different types of um, mm-hmm. native meadows and things. So it's not just gonna be mowed grass. Yeah. Um, there'll be a lot of variety. Gators, can't have those here. There's a sign the city's gonna put back up kind of a beware of alligators. It looks like a joke, but it's not. This whole area around here is part of the bog garden. The whole site was just ponding here and had no yep. way out. Um, so the land feature, Remediates that. This is where most of the tree planting, new tree planting happened. Mm. Um, we have a few hundred new trees on site. Yeah. And you'll see in the middle of the site, um, on the playing field, it's high. So, you know, you've got moisture, you've get, like you've got this moisture will come here, pond here, but it'll come through and slowly make its way. Yeah. Slowly percolate out. Yeah. Yeah. But then a little bit of history about the local citizens who founded the park. And we have, uh, every sign has English, Spanish, and Vietnamese. Vietnamese, is that a big
1: yeah. uh, population here in Yeah. Yep. Okay.
0: yep. Huh. And really all around New Orleans. Oh, really? Yep, on the Delta. Uh-huh. Um, it was a site, the whole New Orleans metro area was a site where Vietnamese immigrants came at the end of the Vietnam War. Wow. And it's sort of a similar landscape to the, um, mm. to the Mekong River Delta. The whole park was this almost undiscovered gem It was so informal, um, you felt like you were the first one to see it when you used to walk through. Wow. I I think there's still some of that spirit. I love it. I look forward to coming back sometime when it's all green and grown in. Please do. Yeah. Please do. It'll be green in no time.
1: (laughs) Really excited about this here, classic Creole cuisine red beans and rice, jambalaya, crawfish étouffée, The gumbo shop here in the French Quarter had to stop for plastic. I'm here at City Hall in New Orleans. The city has a huge role in managing water, sewer, drinking water, and the flooding issues. Uh, They have been involved in the big infrastructure for a long time. The pipes, the pumps, and all of that, but they have also realized that a living with water approach is needed across the city and are starting to put momentum behind it. We're going to talk to Megan Williams. She is an Urban Water Resources Planner with the Office of Sustainability and Resilience. She's really one of the people that's leading the change here in New Orleans and putting in these projects that are beautifying communities and helping to manage water you too. How's it going? Welcome uh, back to the city. I love it. I wish I was here you. for more than a day and a half this time.
4: Um, this living with water concept, the green infrastructure concept. So with New Orleans, we we sit at the bottom of a bowl and we're surrounded by levees. So we pump every drop of water that falls, we pump it out of the city and we pump it across the city. So there's we don't pump directly into the Mississippi River. We have to pump to the northmost side of the city, which is Lake Pontchartrain. That's a lot of water to pump. That's a long way to go. So for us, living with water, a lot of it is a combination of sort of this green and gray infrastructure thing where we do still have to consider piping and culverts and you know drain lines and things like that. But at the same time, because we pump so much water out, we also want to hold as much water back from getting into the system immediately. So that's where the green infrastructure comes in for us is, we can put detention ponds. We can put tanks, rain gardens, bioswales, permeable pavement, all these interventions that kind of mimic what nature does and it's in its most natural habitat. We try to mimic that as much as possible so we can hold some water back before it gets into into the pump station so we can give a little bit of a relief to our very yeah. aging what's infrastructure. The,
1: so. What's been the, the arc or the uptake of, of living with water on the city's part, right on public property, these projects—it's uh, been a process of kind of learning more about it, getting these things designed, getting them put in. Um, yeah, just what's that trajectory been like? How's the momentum, and what's happening here in New Orleans?
4: I think from a from a, a municipality standpoint, we're we're all on board with it. Um, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't think that that's the answer. Um, we've seen it work. We've seen some projects that we've installed. We've seen the success of it. Um, I think a lot of the times we do have to sort of temper our expectations because we do, one, we get so much rainfall and we often get it in really short windows of time. So tempering the expectations of what we are trying to accomplish. But internally, us as a, as a city government, we are on board. You know, we we talk about our, our next step and, you know, the things that we've done, that have worked what hasn't worked and how do we sort of combine that with other departments or other strategic plans um and in just about every strategic plan you'll hear someone say well stormwater needs to be included um the parks master plan um a lot of the mobility plans we we try to kind of double up on a lot of the, the strategic plans and make sure that they overlap so we're meeting a couple of different needs at one time
1: could you talk a little bit more about what these projects might look like, you mentioned a couple of like the features, but yeah, what is what does this look like for people that haven't seen seen a project like this or some features?
4: Something that's really unique about New Orleans is almost every neighborhood looks different. Some neighborhoods have a ton of green space. Um, some of them are are you know highly urbanized and have been overdeveloped, and it's it's almost like a concrete jungle, kind of like they say New York is. Um, our downtown area has very little trees, very little green space. so, we have to kind of tailor it to the neighborhood that we're in. So in neighborhoods where we do have a lot of green space, say we have a lot of vacant lots, we can often partner with some of our other city agencies to transform those lots into detention ponds. So it'll look like a bowl, essentially. We'll go in and we'll put, you know, whether it's trees or uh, just some turf grass or whatever, um, something that allows us to kind of Gives us a little bit extra space to hold that water and that'll go back into the system It'll discharge through the system in a couple of different ways Um, We have bioswales So sometimes in the strip between the sidewalk and the roadway, there's a little strip of grass We'll be able to plant native plantings. Um, We basically create a little bit of a ditch almost in it's most simplistic terms Um, We'll have rain gardens Um, Rain gardens can include a lot of those native plants. Also Um, a lot of times we'll include like curb cuts where we'll cut a little slit in the curb and allow water to run off of the street into these rain gardens. Um, Those can also serve as like traffic calming devices. So it forces cars to slow down as they're going around a turn because they have to make a little bit of wider turn than they're used to. Um, So you have that idea. Um, Something we are also trying to do, and we try to incorporate this as much as possible, is to make sort of a multi-use space. So a lot of our parks and our partner with the, when we partner with our uh, recreation department, we can put tanks underneath the park. That allow water to come in from the drain lines off the street, fill up the tanks, and then go back into a drain line on the opposite side. That way, on a dry day, kids can still go play baseball, football, whatever they want to do. On a rainy day, the, the surface of it, it still looks normal. So it's still a grass or a field or, you know, whatever it needs to look like. But underneath, there's, you know, four, five, 600 gallons of water, 600,000 gallons of water that are underneath that, that are not in our roadways. Um permeable pavement, you know, so I, t- I like to call it the sort of Rice crispy Treat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what it looks like, right? Got that it that texture to it. Yeah. Totally. I haven't a, heard that. That's a good It's one.
4: a porous pavement, so it's got all these void spaces that allow water. It's not much of a, a storage idea, but it's more of a conveyance thing, so it gets it off of the roadway, gives it a place to go, and again, there's a perforated pipe that's underneath, so it's got little holes all on, on the top of it that allows it to get back into the drainage system. So we try to have these sort of multi-lines of defense system where we can do four or five things instead of just one really big thing, uh, a really big thing. So it helps the aesthetic of the neighborhood. Um, Of course, with the flooding, you know, being able to get people to and from their homes, making sure that emergency vehicles can pass through, making sure that people can get in and out of their homes. You know, so we're, we're trying to meet as many needs as we can with one sort of large scale project.
1: Wanted to also just ask about the role of, I guess, private property. You're here managing, uh, you know, the city's taking on all the pub- public spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Looking for places to do these things, but there's so much private property. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's happening? What do you see happening there, or why is that important to yeah. be part of this transformation in New Orleans?
4: We kind of look at sort of this multiple scales, multiple lines of defense system. So you have this really large, you know, the coastal piece, right? Or coastal areas are really our first line of defense, our levee systems. And then we have our pump stations. And then we have the stuff that we as a city of New Orleans are doing that's a little bit smaller scale, but still on a relatively large footprint. And then you have our community organizations and the individual homeowner who are doing things on their property. And these can maybe affect a street, two streets, four or five blocks, something like that. But that that highly localized area that they're impacting, it takes... Several of those smaller scale ones to be effective, and we need that. We need all the lines of the defense at this point. So, working with community organizations or helping homeowners figure out what they can do on their own property—you um, know, those are those are all things that we consider highly valuable. So,
1: this this park we're at, what what is this? What's happened here? What have you What have you done? So,
4: kind of to the naked eye, it looks just like every other park you would see—just grass space. There's some playground stuff. Um, I think there's some baseball equipment over there. What you don't see is that there are these exceptionally large tanks, for lack of a better word, that are underneath. Um, And what those tanks do is allows us to take water out of the drainage system, put it into these big tanks, and then really slowly reintroduce it back into the drainage system, out to where it needs to discharge. So
1: It's collecting water from like the road, basically? You know,
4: you can look at a couple different spots on the road, but there are catch basins all around, kind of where we're at. those catch basins, depending on where you are in relation to the park, will accept that water off the street, and then it has. Um, there's a pipe that connects to the tanks, so it'll dump all that water into the tanks. The tanks will fill up to a certain elevation, and then it'll go back out at a different portion, and it'll go into an, a, la- a really large drainage pipe, and that pipe goes all the way down the street and connects into one of our really large outfall canals.
1: And what's the capacity of these tanks? It's like...
4: The project in total... I think we're like right under two million gallons of water, um, something like that, between one and a half to two million. Um, So those tanks are relatively large. Um, Again, to the naked eye, it doesn't look like anything's happening, but that allows us to use this space and we can still service the neighborhood. Kids still have places to go. You can program the park. So we're not completely turning it into a bowl of water. We can accomplish two things at one time
1: and so these features here like could you explain what's going on like you know again doesn't look like tons but so what you're seeing here is what we call a rain garden Um, there's a catch
4: basin inside of it there's a curb cut over there what happens is water will come off of the street it'll go into this curb cut and it'll flow through this entire bed and then get into the catch basin which connects back to the drainage system so at this particular location we have all four corners have rain gardens at them. And these are native plants. We try to make sure that we're staying with native species here. We don't want anything invasive. Um, We don't wanna choke out the native plants. So we want things that are gonna, we want plants that are gonna help with that absorption as well. Um, So you can see over here, it's the same thing. We, We keep these curb cuts installed and that allows us to pull a little bit of water off of the street. well. And
1: then under our feet right now (laughs) we've got the you call it the rice crispy. This is permeable
4: pavement or porous pavement. Um, So typically you would see some some void spaces here. Uh, This is a little bit old so we actually need to come and vacuum this but we don't get a lot of natural infiltration. All of our organic soils are clay. It looks like a relatively small space but going back to sort of that gray and green that we have to do we upgraded the drainage within the street. Um, So the drainage pipes are much larger than they were before. Um, You can see the streets look practically brand new. So we we have to do a combination of a couple of things. These were things that were in sort of dire need of care. So we had the ability to sort of combine two projects into one, do the gray infrastructure. You know, we were able to upgrade even some of the other utilities in the street, the water lines, possibly the sewer lines as well. Um, So it probably took about two and a half to three years to do all of the construction, including the tanks and the rain gardens and the permeable pavement.
1: This is an opportunity for the city because it's a public, this is your property, right? This is like a public park. Uh, So you have that opportunity. And then do you look for areas where there's also some kind of flooding issue or drainage issue? So it's like the intersection of the two. So
4: While an area may not look like a natural parking area for us, if the neighbors are parking in that place, Uh, we have a lot of off street parking. So to take that away a lot of the time and put a rain garden or a biosoil or something that makes it completely unusable is a detriment to the community. And that's why I try to continue to say, it's important for us to sit at the table with the community through every phase of this so that we can also kind of understand what is the landscape of this neighborhood? How are people using the space? How are people getting around their own neighborhood? And then making sure that what we put in still meets the needs of the flooding, but also meets the needs of the community that exists there as well.
1: Private property is really key to spreading the living with water approach across the city of New Orleans. Uh, I'm here in the Seventh Ward, which is one of the lowest lying areas of the city, and Angela Chalk of Healthy Community Services is really leading an effort to go even property by property, house by house, block by block, to put in green infrastructure, these nature-based solutions to capture the water, let it soak in, and reduce the flooding in the streets. Could you talk about the 7th Ward and the topography here and why that is challenging when it comes to, to managing water?
2: Well, the 7 Ward has been identified as one of the lowest spots in the city of New Orleans. And so out of necessity, living in the community that I live and work in, we identify with the flooding that's just caused from urban flooding, not necessarily from hurricanes, but just heavy downpours. And we know that that's occurring because no matter where you're at on the spectrum of whether or not you believe climate change is real or not, we're certainly f- feeling the impacts of weather events, more intense, more frequent weather events. And so the actions of Healthy Community Services are community-led actions that residents say, this is what we want to see in our neighborhoods. Um, the projects or the green infrastructure projects are complementary to the pumps, pipes, and drainage systems because we need pumps, pipes, drains, and canals. But we've gone back to nature-based solutions. And so residents identified those areas through a series of community meetings and visioning workshops. To again, to identify those areas that need to be targeted. And so Healthy Community Services serves as the community-based organization that receives philanthropic funding. And now with the Justice40 initiative through the Biden administration, we're receiving federal funding as well to address those issues.
1: Why are the pipes and pumps not enough? Why why do you need to go further and, and pull in the nature-based solutions, you know, house by house, street by street?
2: The pipes, pumps and drains in the canal serve their purpose in that um, it helps tremendously to pump large volumes of water out at the same time. It's the great infrastructure, but it's also an aged infrastructure. And in having anything that's an aged infrastructure, we need need to go back to Nature-Based Solutions to help complement those aged infrastructures. And so we can manage water where it falls, which is what we do using nature-based solutions. That relieves the tension and the pressure on the drains, the pipes, the canals, and the pumping station. And so the more water that we manage where it falls, it enters back into our water table, which helps prevent subsidence that that occurs because we have to pump and over time, we've pumped try to pump our way out of um, flooding. And we find that it just doesn't work. It's a part of the urban water cycle. Um, the more we can slow that, what's called that time of concentration by managing water where it falls, whether that be a rain garden, a bioswale, a rain barrel, or a planter box, it helps to aid the pumps in facilitating to better pump large volumes of water.
1: Here in the Seventh Ward, and in other places in New Orleans too, there's you know a lot of the, the hard surfaces put in, right? Like a lot of concreting of sidewalk areas, driveways, property. And so that's really something that helped contribute to the problem too, right? Is not just being low, not just the heavy rains, but then you have a lot of hard surfaces. We
2: have a lot of hard surfaces. We have um, areas where there were once ditches that residents have filled in because of parking and then we also have those bad actors um, who will not use best practices in communities of color when it comes to making sure that you're not um, putting concrete down the drains or even just the everyday citizen who may blow their leaves into the, the, the the drainage system those things clog up the, 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 the pipes that get the water to the um, pumping stations. Another thing that we do is to try and help residents to understand the role that we play. So it's not entirely upon our public utilities. The residents have a role in that. We have to work collectively to understand our problem and to see the role that we play in making sure that we're all protected from, from the, the disasters of climate. Um, with that being said, we know that, and statistics show, shows us that, demonstrates that all the time, that communities of color are the ones that are the first to be impacted and the last to recover. So it's called first and worst. First to be impacted, last worst to be impacted the most, and last to recover. And so my role as a community leader is to engage with residents, not just check off a box, actually get boots on the ground, talking with residents, engaging them through meetings, meeting people where they are, Mm -hmm. and communicating in a language that folks understand. And we've been successful with that. Um, Here in the Seventh Ward alone, we're managing right at uh, 50,000 gallons of storm water per rain event that may not seem significant to people but if it's on your block and it means whether or not your car is going to be flooded or whether or not you can get home from work or school yeah. that's a significant amount Absolutely. of water Yeah
1: I, I love talking about like the significance of oh my gosh we need a whole big huge change but you can just go in like property by property right house by house you start to chip away and isn't that that's part of your mindset here.
2: Interventions are designed such that whether you're a homeowner or a renter, you can participate in having an intervention. So it could be as simple as a rain barrel, it can be permeable pavers, it can be a bioswill, it can be a rain garden. But everyone um, sits in on the block, with the resident, and contribute to what they want to see. They're educated so they know what what type of intervention they want to see on a block and what what will work. And then we work with a landscape architect to design that. But most importantly is that we work with workforce development groups like Groundworks New Orleans to um, bring, again, community-led young folks to give them an opportunity to work on real projects in communities of color that um, affords them the opportunity to have living wage opportunities and experience in installing green infrastructure interventions.
1: What's then the reaction of the community and how, how are people feeling?
2: We have to have that level of trust in the community. Without that level of trust in relationship building, none of what we would do or could do would not happen. And so um, it first evolved out of curiosity when we put in the first um, project and then it became competitive. If my neighbor has one, well, I want one too, not even realizing what it was or what the benefit was. And then as we um, engaged with residents and through the Waterwise Gulf South Collective and those other six community organizations, We have a network of 175 neighborhood champions who then um, bring that information to their friends, neighbors, and relatives. And so- Word
1: of mouth is the best. Yes.
2: (laughs) Word of mouth and leaving, I always say this is so important in whatever community you're working in, is to leave tangible assets in those communities. We can talk about this all day long. But if we are not leaving tangible assets uh, for for residents to have long after I'm gone, long after um, the funding may be be gone, residents are then able to maintain these projects and know the benefits that they're receiving from it. Bioswil is a linear channel that manages water where it falls. And this particular Bioswil is 40 feet long. It was excavated out to 1.5 feet. So it measures 40 by 2 by 1.5, excavated out, and then backfilled with um, an 80-20 mix of bioretention soil and number 57 limestone. But what's most important is the use of the native plants. So this is a dwarf palmetto, and when they were first installed, they were about um, four feet high. So the roots are as deep as the plant is high. And so the water is able to infiltrate into the water table and we're capturing the runoff from the roof of this property mm-hmm. as well as the runoff from the adjacent property. Plus the plants look awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the yeah. plants have cool. Yeah, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's
1: 40 feet long, a foot and a half deep, a couple feet wide. It's got that stone in there because that's permeable, right? That's permeable. So that let the water kind of soak, soak in much better, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: And within 72 hours, the water has infiltrated into the ground and so we don't have to worry about mosquitoes. Yeah, awesome. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh yeah, the mosquito piece, right? That's key, so you don't have standing water. We
2: don't have standing water. Yeah. And this intervention is seven years old. We're also providing habitat for birds. And so the birds are able to come in and feed off of the berries. I see those little berries in there, yeah. The berries of the dwarf palmetals. These things right here. here. Wow. And so we're able to harvest these berries and um, and reseed them to reuse and repurpose to plant and grow oh, really? additional um, plants. Wow,
1: that's awesome.
2: The water is here; can be repurposed and used again. Yeah. Let's go in the backyard, and I can show you how we're making land to demonstrate what's um, okay. what's in the wetlands. This is. Um, mimics what happens in the the wetlands mm-hmm. with the land and so we create this to demonstrate how land is created. Oh wow, that's amazing. And so you have a carpet there. Yeah. Of the, how land is created in the, in the wetlands and in the marsh.
1: And you can show that to people as you're teaching them. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. And that's just helps them learn about coastal issues yes. and resilience mm-hmm. and so this is a whole station here, like a solar-powered eco-bench uh, and it, it ha- has solar panels on top. It also catches the water and collects that and drains it out. Uh, it has a weather station built into it also for the community uh, and even a place for people to use that solar power to charge their, their mobile phones and other devices. Uh, And I also understand that people use it for shelter if there's a big downpour, so uh, Very cool just like little asset for the community that serves many purposes and including education Well, this is the
2: service project that was put in and so with um, the volunteers from the water environment We were able to partner with St. Augustine Healthy Community Services, WaterWise Gulf South and local architect Dana Brown and Associates and Dana Greenman to install this project. Yeah. And so what was occurring here was that when there was a rain event, this street would flood. Okay, yeah. So now this project is managing 4,500 gallons wow. of water. So I mean, it's, and it
1: goes the whole way the down whole, the building? The
2: whole width of this building. That's incredible. So the water that's coming off of this roof um, enters into the bioswale and the remaining water, once it reaches capacity, that goes directly into the storm system. But the first 4,500 gallons is maintained. Yeah, I bet that's, that's a significant uh, rain yes. garden there. Or yes. You call that a bioswale? This is a bioswale a rain, okay, because bioswale. it's linear. Rain gardens are more circular and depressed. Okay, okay. Got yeah. it, got it. And got so it. the art students were able to do an art project there and again game, we're using native plants But more importantly, what the students learned was that, again, to be good environmental stewards, because all of the things that you can find upon excavation, such as these water jars. Now, these water jars weren't found at this site, but this is a demonstration of what can be found when you're doing these sorts of projects. And so just from October, this is how it's grown. Um, And again, those plants are, all native plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, native plants. The the, mm-hmm.
2: gra- the grasses, right? Yeah. A couple of different kinds of grasses There's here. There's um, muley grass, muley grass, irises. Yeah. So what you see here, because we're in phase two, mm. the water comes off of clayborn.
1: Okay, yeah, off the roadway. Yeah, also of clayborn
2: into here. So this is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing by collecting that trash yep. so that it doesn't get into the bioswale. Okay. It's providing an easier transition for residents that are exiting or at evacuating during a hurricane from both Plaquemines, um, St. Bernard, and Orleans. And businesses now have called me. Folks along this are now willing to relocate along this oh, corridor wow. because of the potential for less flooding sure. as a result of this sure. project. Mr. Garcia was the first business to allow me to put this planter box here to manage water. We're collecting the water off of his roof into this downspout. And so this is uh, maybe five years old. Okay. That's all all
1: it takes to make a difference, right? Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm.
2: this. Yeah. And what we found when we first did this was that this side of the street didn't flood, mm. but that side of the street did?
1: Ah, uh, they got the water over there from
2: no. Oh, the water stayed here God. again. Oh, managing water where it falls. So this side doesn't flood, but that, that side, side did. Yeah. Now let's take our last stop. Kay. I come out and I see this, and I'm just so excited, you know. But I, I wish residents could see that you know, their behavior. This is the, the For cost sure. of their behavior. Yep,
1: yep, absolutely.
2: And we all have a role to play in this. And it's not just the utilities, because the folks who operate the pump systems, they live here as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to say the, the pump operators don't get enough respect. Mm. And in my opinion, they're right up there with police fire, and EMS, because they're protecting us 24-7.
1: It's kind of amazing to me the amount of trash that there is in our waterways. We're here at pumping station number three in New Orleans, uh, and you can see in the water back here just all the trash that builds up at a location like this. We were just at, uh, further down in the canal and saw how a community organization put a boom in the canal to capture the trash and then take it out so that it doesn't build up at the pumping stations and, you know, get in the way of of them moving the water when it needs to get moved, so. For 300 years, New Orleans has had an intimate relationship with the Mississippi River and with water. They were known as an innovator for how they manage that water. New challenges call for new approaches. And now they are reclaiming that title of innovators through living with water. I think the projects and the experiences that they're having can provide valuable lessons for other communities to follow. Thank you for checking out this episode from the nonprofit media outlet Waterloop. To find all podcasts, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.